Welcome back. How are you guys doing? Yeah? Real quiet? Man, I'm glad you guys are here tonight. If you're a first-time guest with us, man, I'm, I'm excited you're here. Uh, we'd love to, uh, love to follow up with you. Love, glad that you're here with us. Uh, if you have been with us, uh, man, we have been trekking through this Not a Fan series. And uh, I'm excited about it. I'm excited what God's doing already. Uh, the Where we've been and uh, where we're going to continue to walk through and where we're going to continue to go. Um, tonight, uh, I have a, a little something different uh, to start off. Um, I want to play a video for you, and it's just a short little video. Uh, a lot of you guys may have already seen this on uh, ESPN recently. Uh, if you're a girl and you're not so into football and don't really know what's going on, just listen. They'll, they'll be talking about it uh, as it's going. So if you can just play that for me. From a first half fumble, snap is high. This ball knuckles, bounding down. Wait a minute. He's, wait a minute. He's running the You're wrong way. You're going the way. wrong way. Holy moly. How often do you see that? How often do you see that? <laughs> Towson should not have tackled him and let him go into the end zone. It would have been a safety. It appeared to have just grazed Derek Joseph, the return man, making it a live ball. Right. Linebacker Andre Parker then gets confused. There, it hits Joseph. It's a fumble. It's a free ball. Andre Parker has it, and then he's wrong way, Parker, for 58 yards the wrong way. Joseph's yelling at Peter, which is what punt returners yell in order to get everyone away from the ball, and then the ball hits him. And then Andre Parker, the sophomore linebacker for Kent State, runs the entire <laughs> runs 58 yards the wrong direction. And if the Towson kids would have understood it, they should have let him go into the end zone. Does anybody know what just happened? What's happened? Going in the wrong direction. So Kent State's punting the ball. And Kent State's not like some prestigious program like Alabama, Roll Tide. But they are still a pretty equipped football team. They know at least how to play the game, right? And so they're playing this team called Townsend, and Kent State's punting the football. And they punt the football to Townsend, and their end zone was where the, which the direction they were punting to. But then Townsend touched the ball, Kent State linebacker picks it up and takes it 58 yards the wrong way. The only way that would have made it a complete mess was if they had not tackled him and he had just run that thing straight into the enemy end zone. All right? I don't know. It's funny, though, because you can see the opposing team's coach get onto his players for actually making that tackle and not letting him run all the way into the end zone. Why do I bring this up? Well, part of the reason why is you could say that that dude just completely missed the mark, right? I mean, just he had probably spent most of his life understanding, playing, learning the game of football. And for some reason or another, in the moment, he just completely forget, forgot everything that he had probably learned, the rules of the game, like, for one, and takes the ball 58 yards the wrong direction, okay? So he completely misses the mark. He is somebody that's probably, you know, he's well-equipped enough to get a college scholarship, I hope. And even if he walks on at Kent State, of all schools, he still has probably had some experience playing high school football, middle school football, a lot of where you guys are at right now. So... He knows the game, okay? He knows how to play the game, but for some reason or another, he completely missed the mark. Completely missed the mark. And I, 
I just think it's comical. I think it's laughable because you can see the other coach getting on his players for making that tackle. You can see him start to jog to the sideline and realize what he did. And he's just like, oh, why did I do that? It's really funny. It's really, really funny. Well, what, what does that have to do with tonight? What does that have to do with where we're going? Well, tonight, we're going to continue in our Not a Fan series. And if you've been with us, we, you know that we're focusing on not being a fan of Jesus Christ, but becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, okay? A fan is somebody that sits on the sidelines. They cheer on Sundays and Wednesdays. They know all the right things. They may know all about Jesus. But a follower is somebody that's completely committed, devoted follower of Jesus, okay? They understand and know Jesus in a personal way, in an intimate way, in a, in a real relationship type of way, okay? So tonight, we're going to continue to venture on in this. And what we're going to be talking about, uh, if you can go, if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew 23. If you don't have a copy of the scripture, I highly encourage you to bring a copy of the written scripture, okay? A lot of you guys have phones, that's great, it's all well and good, Jacob, I appreciate that, okay? You all have phones and things like that, which is fine if you're in a pinch, if you're coming from somewhere and don't have your Bible, but try to bring a written copy of the scripture with you every week, because uh, that's where we'll be. We'll always be in scripture. We'll always be reading out of scripture. That is one thing you will find about us. So turn to Matthew 23. And as you're turning there, I want to tell you a little bit. As we've kind of been walking through this series, I've touched on this a couple times. Now, raise your hand if you know what the Pharisees are and the Sadducees are. Everybody know who the Pharisees and Sadducees are? Come on. Seriously? A lot of people don't. Okay, that's fine. A lot of y'all were here two weeks ago, and you heard me talk about it, so obviously you weren't paying attention, but that's okay. Uh, but as we've been going, we've been briefly mentioning the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the thing about them is, listen, in Jesus' time, in Jesus' time, there were about 6,000 of them, okay? So it sounds like a pretty big number, right? But in the grand scheme of things, in the amount of people they have, I think we're, what, we're close to 85,000 just in Cleveland, right? Something Somewhere near there. And so... You, you take that number, 6,000 away from 85, and you still got 79,000. So there's still a, quite a big gap, and that's just Cleveland, Tennessee, okay? So you think about that, and you think about 6,000 followers, it's a lot. But listen, 6,000 wasn't that big of a thing. And so the reason I say that is because these guys had spent their entire lives devoting their lives to reading Scripture, memorizing Scripture, memorizing prophecies about the Christ. They had spent their lives... Uh, memorizing the law, which was a vast array of, of rules, essentially. A humongous list of rules. And you've heard of the Ten Commandments, right? Everybody's heard of the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt not steal, kill, all that kind of stuff. Well, the law was those things. But what happened was, as over a period of time, the Sadducees and Pharisees began to make kind of sub-commandments and sub-things underneath of those things, and so they begin to apply rule after rule on top of rule, and so that turned into 613 rules for them to follow. So they had memorized all these rules and all these different things, but yet they had um, they had they had been fully devoting their life to um, to those things, to to memorizing those things, to knowing those things, and so this was a very kind of successful group of people. A lot of these guys spent their life devoting in this way because that was how you measured success, really, in Jesus' day. A lot of these guys were well-known. They, the, they were the it guys, okay? If you wanted to go anywhere or be anybody, 
that's what you would do. You would memorize these things. You would become part of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and, uh, and that was how they operated. Well, within that group of people, there was another group called the Sanhedrin, and that was 72 Pharisees and Sadducees made together to become a religious governing body. And they uh, consider themselves a governing body because they consider themselves to make decisions on basically who was um, doing things right or who was doing things wrong, and they would condemn or, or confront them or whatever, uh, those people, for what they did. And so they had labeled themselves kind of this uh, religious governing body, right? So there's 6,000, but within the 6,000, the really prestigious and the really successful ones I don't know how you measure that, but I guess the ones that memorize it the fastest or something, I don't know. But the way they had it was these guys, 72 guys, were the best of the best, okay? These 72 guys were, were no joke. They, they knew what they were talking about. They had spent their lives training and equipping themselves to their trade. Much like this football player probably spent majority of his life on the football field, training, equipping, learning about the football game. And for some reason or another, he completely missed the mark. Kind of get where I'm going with that? The Pharisees and Sadducees had spent their lives training and equipping themselves towards this thing, but yet it seemed like they completely missed the mark. Completely missed the mark. And that's kind of where we're landing tonight. So if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew 23, and starting in verse 1. Jesus is sitting around with disciples. He's sitting around with a crowd of people. There's, there's some Pharisees and Sadducees there among him. They've been going back and forth, and Jesus kind of goes on a rant, a really awesome rant. So get ready. So Matthew 23, here we go. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so practice and observe whatever they tell you. Stop right there. Okay? It says they sit on Moses' seat, so Observe whatever they tell you, right? So you got to think that after Jesus had rebuked these, these guys over and over and over, he finally says, listen and observe to what they see. You know they're sitting back, probably the only time they've ever been able to say this, and they're like, yeah, dude, listen to that. Everybody listen to what he's saying now. He's talking good stuff, right? Here we go. He says, so practice and observe whatever they tell you, but not what they do. Here we go. But not what they do, for they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. You get where he's going with this? You guys with me? You get where he's going? He's saying they completely missed the mark, okay? He's talking about these guys, these religious leaders, and he's like, listen, they're sitting on Moses' seat. They have the commands, but yet they developed, you know, 613 more uh, on top of that. And he says, so listen and observe what they hear. So, so sit back and listen to what they're saying, but this is where we're at. But don't do what they say. So there's a little bit of challenge there, right? A little bit of, little bit of strife. He's saying, don't do what they're telling you to do. Well, if he's saying don't do it, he's immediately following with continuing that, so I think we should listen as to what we shouldn't do. You ready? He says, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their own finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, 
for they make their fight. Whoop, sorry. Silac trees broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feast and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher. And you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. Listen to this. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. I'm going to stop right there. You go back to verse 4. Talk about are you a fan or are you a follower of Jesus, okay? Are you a fan or are you a follower? Fans follow the rules rather than follow Jesus. That's kind of where we're at. Talked about the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these guys that spent their lives devoted. And we talked about two weeks ago, we talked about being knowledge about Jesus doesn't mean that you have intimacy with Jesus. So a lot of us had spent our lives in church, we've spent our lives learning all about Jesus, but yet some of us have, don't really have a deep, meaningful relationship with Jesus. And so kind of where we're at, where we're pushing at tonight, is saying that following the rules doesn't necessarily mean that you're following Jesus, okay? Being able to check off the boxes on Sunday morning and on Wednesday night doesn't necessarily mean that you're following Jesus. That's where we're at. Look at, look at verse 4. He says, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their own finger. What these guys did, a lot of times they walked around, and obviously they knew all the rules. They knew everything um, there was to know about all these different laws and commandments, right? And they walked around all high and mighty because they knew them all, and they obeyed most of them, if not all of them, to an extent, okay? Okay. They, they spent their entire lives devoted to following all these rules, okay? And so what he's saying is they walked around and they were high and mighty and they looked on other people, the Gentiles or even some of the Jews who weren't necessarily following the rules and they were judging them and, and, and applying guilt on them for not following the rules. And so what he's saying, they tie up heavy burdens and lay them on their shoulders. So they're they go up to people and they make them feel guilty for their sin, but yet they don't look at their own sin and their own life because they think that they are holier than they are, right? They think they're holier than they are. And so it takes us into verse 5, and, or, and it says, but they themselves are not willing to move with their own hands. They're not willing to remove their own burden. Verse 5 says, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. How many times have we gone into church and you've taken your $5 or your $10 and you've put in the offering plate, but you've looked around to see who else is looking at you when you do it, right? We go into church and we think that maybe if we come to our small group and we, we volunteer to pray and we pray out loud, that everybody will think that we're holier than we are. So we do it out in public so that we can be seen by others, right? I know I've done it. We all do it, I think, to an extent. He says they, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. They're putting on a show. They're putting on a show. Next verse talks about how they, they dress the part. They look the part. The verse after that says they love 
They say they, they go into the, the, the places of honor and they go into the synagogues and they sit in the best place so that they can be seen by everybody around them for what they're doing, for what they're, what they're a part of. So they're dressing the part. They're going and sitting in the right places. Everybody's looking at them the right way. They're doing all their acts in public to where everybody can see them. They're putting on a show. Part of my question for you tonight is, are you putting on a show? Is your Christian life, the life that you're living in your school, in your home, in your family, and with your friends, at church, are you just putting on a show? Are you living a life that's just for others' benefit, but deep down, there's another, there's another side of you, right? Listen, Jesus doesn't expect his followers to be perfect, okay? We all have sin, okay? We all have sin and struggles in our lives. He doesn't expect his followers to be perfect, but he does expect them to be authentic, okay? He does expect them to, to be able to, to be genuine, to be rightful, to be able to say when you failed or when you slipped up or when you sinned, to be able to come to him and say, God, I messed up, and I need forgiveness, and I need your grace. The Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, they, uh, they made all these rules, and they followed all these rules. Well, the rules tend to make you feel guilty when you don't measure up or when you don't complete them. But listen, God came to give you grace. He came to give you grace, and it's made to set you free. It's not made to make you feel guilty. Jesus Christ, listen up right here. Jesus Christ came from heaven. You understand that? He came from heaven. And he came on this earth so that he could die for your sins. The sins that you and I commit every day. He came and he paid the price so that you wouldn't have to, you wouldn't have to worry about it. You've been set free from that. He came to pay the price for your life and for my life so that we wouldn't have to hide anymore. So that we wouldn't have to be weighted down with guilt and with shame anymore. So that we could be able to come to him and say, God, you know what, I messed up. But, Father, I want to be able to pursue you. I need your help. Christ came to die so that you would be set free, that his grace would be enough for you. If you look in Acts, Acts chapter 15, it says this. Fifteen ten. Says now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Excuse me, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Again, just reiterating. God doesn't want you to soak in your sin and to be guilty and to feel shame from that. He came to die for you that you would be set free. That, you're, that his grace would cover that sin, that it's plenty enough, man. I'm telling you tonight, it's plenty enough for anything and everything that you've done in your life. His grace is sufficient. Focusing on the inside, I don't want to read the entire passage just because of time's sake, but I challenge you to go back and read Matthew 23. But the end of chapter 23, in verse 25, it says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. I think we can all relate to that term. For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, 
first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Says it again. For you are like whitewashed tombs. Okay, tombs, the thing you put dead people in, just like a grave. You are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but inwardly are full of dead people's bones and are unclean. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but inwardly you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You understand what God, what Christ is saying there? You understand what he's saying there? That we oftentimes clean the outside of the cup, and we oftentimes make ourselves, the, the whitewashed tombs, look pretty on the outside, but yet we're living a double life. We're keeping dead things on the inside, sin and death on the inside, and we're choosing to neglect those things, push them deep, deep down, forget about them, and hope that everything on the outside looks just enough righteous that when we come to church, nobody's going to question us, but yet they're going to extend to us an offer of, oh man, they, they are a great Christian, and then you get an attaboy and you're out the door. Let me tell you something real quick. This is the one thing that I struggle the most with, and I'll just be honest with you right now, Okay? I'll just be frank with you right now. This is the thing that I struggle the most with in my life. It's, it's, it's having the tendency to set sin aside and not deal with it right away and then come back later and hope that everything's going to be okay. But guess what? God looks at the inside, and we are to look at the inside. We're to come to him and be able to say, you know what, God, I've messed up. My inside is crud, man. And I'm tired of trying to look good on the outside because essentially we're trying to make ourselves look good by using God. We're using God to make much of ourselves. I got some. I got something for you to show you. It's kind of a, a cool way to to show this. I have two balloons. One's red. One's blue. But they're still similar shape, right? Now, if I let go of them, which one's going to fly in the air and which one's going to fall on the ground? A lot of times, what was on the inside that, that made that fly up? Helium. A lot of times we choose to neglect what's on the inside, okay? We choose to neglect what's on the inside. And really what we're, 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 we're focusing on the outside, we neglect what's on the inside, but eventually the inside is going to show itself. The inside is going to come outside, Okay? And just like you can't contain helium in a balloon, it's going to show itself, right? When you let go, it's going to show itself. And that's kind of where we're leading into. It, look in the verse I told you to come back to, chapter 23, verse 11. Look at this. Look on the screen if you don't have it. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. You catch what that's saying? Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Listen, listen real quick. There's two things in that verse. It's not an this and an or that. It's both. He's saying if you exalt yourself, 
I'm going to humble you. But he's saying if you humble yourself, you'll be exalted. So we can make the choice tonight, right here, right now. There's a tambourine there. But we can make the choice right here, right now, to come before God and say, you know what? There's a lot of crap that I've been pushing aside in my life. There's a lot of sin in my life that I've been waiting down and just been pushing aside. And truly, I'm a fan. I put on the outside exterior. I come to church. I want to look righteous. I want to pray in front of other people. But yet, at the end of the day, there's still sin in my life. There's still crud in my life that I'm dealing with. There's stuff on a computer screen. There's gossip with other girls. There's things in my life that just aren't where they should be. And I need to come before God tonight, and I need to say, you know what, God, I messed up, I'm sinful, I'm full of sin, I want to become a true, committed follower of you, which means I want to come to you and ask for your grace and ask forgiveness tonight. A lot of you guys need to humble yourselves tonight. And let me just tell you something, I've had to humble myself just to be able to preach this tonight. Because listen, one way or the other, God will humble you. So you can either come before him yourself, or later on down the road, down the road your inside is going to find you out. And your helium is going to come out one way or the other. And let me just tell you guys, I plead with you. I plead with you right here, right now. Don't wait. God wants so much more for your life, and you guys have so much more potential than you ever realized. And if you continue to let sin and things hinder your walk with him, telling you it's going to catch up to you but listen it's not to condemn you it's not to put you in a bad place because listen god has already paid the price he already came and he already died so that you may have new life again so that your sin and your shame would be no more that you would give him everything that you have and stop being a fan Humble yourself before God, and I'm telling you, the, the reward is going to be that much greater. He will use you to glorify himself, and I'm telling you, you'll see the fruit, man. You'll see the fruit. God wants to use you. He wants you to be a truly committed follower of him. And that's my prayer for each one of you guys right now. So the big idea tonight, the big thing that you can take home with, is following Jesus means humbling yourself. It's that simple. Following Jesus means humbling yourself. It means dying to yourself what you want and following Christ, putting to death the sin in your life, the things that are holding you back, and following him. I'm going to invite Anna to come back up and play for just a second. And man, I plead with you right now. Don't let this moment pass. God's giving you an opportunity. He put you in your chair tonight for a purpose, to hear his message, not to, not to look at Brian, not to see what he has to say, but to hear what God has to say to you tonight, and that is for you to come before him, to humble yourself, and, and be there, and come to him, that's it, it's that simple, let's pray, God, I just thank you. God, I don't know why, I don't know how, but God, when you wrote these words so many years ago, that Father, that you would have them be so much applicable right here today in these students' lives, in my life, Lord. 
And God, I beg you. I beg you, Lord. God, and thank you for your grace. I thank you for all that you've done in my life, Lord. And God, the times that you've humbled me, Father, I praise your name that you loved me enough to bring me back to you. And God, my prayer for these students is that they would come tonight and they would bow on their knees and they would beg you, God, to build an altar tonight. To start right here, right now, fresh and new. Because God, it's never too late. God, I pray that, Father, that we could repent and we could be rightly restored with you. God, I love you. Thank you for our time. And I thank you for these students, God. And I pray that you would cover them now. In your name.